Good morning. So I have been charged with finishing the current series, Why the Gospel is Still Good News. But I'm being a little bit naughty with Stuart's permission and changing the title to Why the Whole Gospel is Still Good News. Uh, I've only just started, thank you. And of course, you can come. Now, a couple of weeks ago, it'll be all new. So, how are He goes right back, of course, to the start of the world. If we go back to Genesis 3, we see Adam and Eve have been created. God put them in a nice garden and said, There you go, guys. Can you look after my garden, please? Oh, by the way, there's a tree over here, the tree of knowledge. Don't touch. Don't eat. God disappears. On comes the serpent. And he whispers a little bit of truth and a little bit of lie. And he says, you won't die. But of course they did. Um, Adam and Eve, are you here today? No, they're not here. they, They died both spiritually and physically. So that, the lies have been with us forever. Now, two ways lies can come into our life. And the first way is through specific people. And to do that, I'm going to look at 1 Kings 22. Now, 1 Kings 22 is in the, is the, in the time in history where Israel is a divided kingdom, and you've got two kingdoms, Judah and Israel. Judah was, um, had a king called Jehoshaphat. He was a good king. He tried to follow God's command. And then Israel had a bad king at, at that point, King Ahab. And... Basically, Ahab wanted to go to battle to reclaim some territory called Ramoth-Gilead. So he calls up his friend Jehoshaphat and says, Jehoshaphat, I need your help. Can you come over here, please? Join me in the battle to retake this territory. So let's pick up on verse 5. This is 1 Kings 22. But you see, Jehoshaphat is quite wise. And he says, well, let's find out if that's what God wants for us, we don't want us to do. We don't want to just dive into battle if it's not God's will. So the bad king of, of Israel says, okay, I will call together four that I know of and see what they say. And they say, yes, go, go. So there's 400 prophets saying, do it. However, verse 7, we see that uh, Jehoshaphat is actually a little bit wise to these prophets, and he realizes they're not actually genuine prophets. They are fake. They are liars. And he says, it's not actually a prophet around that we can ask the Lord what he's saying and inquire of him. And the bad king says, well, there is the Lord, but I mean, obviously, it's always going to be bad because he's a bad king and God is trying to communicate through the prophets, uh, hello, you're not in the right place, you need to correct yourself, and, but he doesn't like to be corrected. So he's not listening to the truth that's coming to him. So he's gathered around himself 400 liars. And it makes him feel good, but it's a lie, of course. Um, verse 13 it's not just the king, you see. The messenger that went to collect the prophet, he was also deluded. He said, um, let your match with the other people's messages. Don't bother with the truth. Let's just all be one happy family with liars. 
And what happens is the prophet, of course, the genuine prophet, does come with the truth, and he says to the king, don't go to war. It won't work out. God is not with you. Now, the bad king didn't want to hear the truth, and he got very annoyed at the prophet and said, can you please go back? And he sent him to prison. He listened to his 400 prophets, the fake ones, and he went to battle, and it didn't end well. The poor guy died. So, quite often I find that when you have an Old Testament passage, you can find there's a New Testament passage that matches extremely well. 2 Timothy 4, this is Paul writing to Timothy, for a time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather, to gather, around, gather around a great number of teachers, possibly 400 maybe, to say what their itching ears want to hear they would turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. So here we have type lie type 1 coming specifically from the individual, or in this particular example, the 400 individuals. Lie type number 2 is that I want to highlight is the one that comes through to us over time and through our culture and through generations even. If you look at Israel's history, you can see that you would get a prophet that would appear, they'd hear the truth, and the prophet would die, and slowly... ...in which they walked away from the truth so far, they actually lost the book of the law. Now, the book, the book of the law in this passage, we think, refers to Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. These are... These are big, important books, and they lost them. These were the anchor points, these were the do's and the don'ts of who they were as God's people, how they should do things, and they disappeared. And this happened over the space of time and generations. So I'm going to be reading from Second uh, Chronicles 34. Now, second, this, uh, this is the account of a good king, and he is trying to do God's commands. And the temple at this point in history is all broken down and it needs to be repaired. So he has sent in some builders to repair God's temple. And as they're repairing God's temple, they find this lost book that was obviously in the ruins of the temple in some dusty cupboard. And they read this book and they realize it's the book of the law. It's the, it's the truth of who they are. And the king reads it. And this is his reaction. For when the king heard all his robes. Great is the Lord's anger that is poured out on us because of those who have gone before us, the previous generations, have not kept the word of the Lord. They have not acted in accordance with all that is written in this book. See, Kaziah, the, the guy is destroyed, he's ripping his clothes, which is what they used to do in the, at those times. He has seen that the truth is here, the, the, word of the, the book of the law is here, and they as a culture have They've just wandered off through generation, through time, and they've now become so far away from the truth. And he's very upset about this. <coughs> what does he do about it? Then the king called together all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem, all the people from the least to the greatest. He read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant, which had been found in the temple of the Lord. So you can see here, he's trying to rectify the wrong. Let us read the truth 
Let us find out what is right and what is wrong. Let's delve into that. So, two lies. The lie through the individual and the lie through time and culture. So the question I want to ask is, what if we are deceived? What if we have unknowingly become like a King Ahab? What if our culture is so all-encompassing on us that actually we haven't quite got the truth in us? How can we deal with this? Let's see what Jesus says about this situation. Uh, two quotes from Jesus. First one, Matthew 7. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, and inwardly they are ferocious wolves. And then Matthew 24. This is more about the very end, end times. Uh, the false messiahs and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. That's a stark warning for us, that even the elect can be deceived by false prophets and lies that are all around us. So we need to really guard ourselves. I think the best thing we can do is never assume that we have to get it right. Because in that is a form of arrogance. But actually always have an open heart to realizing that maybe we haven't fully got the truth in, in us. So where can we turn to get the truth? Well, of course, I refer you to the series title, Why the Whole Gospel is Still Good News, the Bible itself. So I'm now going to, oh, firstly, I'm going to say, that what does the Bible say about itself, about reading it? This is just one of lots of verses I've pulled up that you could pull up. Your word is a lamp for my feet, a light to my path. As we journey through life, let us read the word. It is a light for our journey. Roast dinner, Christmas dinner. Um, I'm sure you can tell this looks exactly like the Bible, because I'm going to compare uh, Christmas dinner to the Bible. It's extremely similar. So there we go. Then we've got Christmas dinner. Yeah. Pigs and blankets, and don't forget the Brussels sprouts. How many people here dislike Brussels sprouts? Oh, not as many as I thought, less than I thought. Okay, let's just all pretend we all really dislike them. I, I, I really, bleh, they're horrible things. Imagine a world where it's Christmas dinner every single day, morning, noon, and night. I quite like Christmas dinner, so it doesn't sound too bad. But what if when we ate that meal every day of our lives, we avoided the Brussels sprouts? And there's peas at the top of the picture as well. If we avoided the peas, avoided our greens, we would become really ill, wouldn't we? Because we need the nourishment of the greens. We need the nourishment that's in those Brussels sprouts. Brussels sprouts are very healthy for you. The Word of God is exactly the same. It is packed full of truth, packed full of verses. Some verses are like pigs in blankets. Yummy. I do apologize to the vegetarians here, sorry. <laughs> they are yummy verses. Oh, I like those verses. But of course, there are some verses in there that, and, and passages and sections that we go, ooh, that's a bit Brussels sprouty. <laughs> I don't like that. But just like roast dinner, if we don't consume and, and eat all of the Bible, even the passages we don't particularly like, we are not reading the whole truth. And we only deceive ourselves 
if we are just reading the bits that we like, and Stuart put it like, uh, two weeks ago, cherry-picking the verses that we want, we're actually just creating us in us a false doctrine, a doctrine of false truth. And that's no good. And the, what's worse is we have this belief system, and then we will propagate that to other people. We'll go, this is what I think God is like. But if we haven't absorbed the whole word, we're wrong. I don't know if you can see that. That is a microscopic Christmas dinner. And that's another way of using the, the Christmas dinner as an analogy. Today I am mostly speaking, and there's a few Bible verses that I'll be throwing in, obviously. If we were to come to church and only consume from the Bible what was given to us through a preach, that is about the size of the portion that we receive. It's very small. What I'm sharing this morning is very small compared to what the whole Bible has to offer. Hopefully, uh, this church will provide a balanced meal. So there are some Brussels sprouts on the microplate, but it's just, you wouldn't be fed from that. And if we don't go home and study the Word and get into God's Word by ourselves and just come to church and listen here, we will be undernourished. We were undernourished from God's Word. And when you only absorb a small proportion of God's word, and then next to that, we have lies, the lies of the world and the lies of wonders. Those lies will be bigger. If we read more of God's word, we end up absorbing a greater proportion of truth into our lives. And therefore, we are protecting ourselves from the lies. And we will be far more likely to be sure-footed in our journey of life. Another way of looking at it is if this church decided, right, from January, we're going to go through the entire Bible from start to finish, then every week we'll be preaching one chapter. How many years would it take to get through the Bible if we went through in a linear fashion? 23 years. I think by the time we got to the end, we'd very much forgotten the beginning. So that's just an illustration of how little of the word we actually get on Sunday morning. It's good stuff, but let's go and grab it for ourselves. So, I've got two challenges to throw out. Two challenges uh, to change our mindset, to challenge the truth that's in us. So, our modern culture is it's very selfish culture. It's very consumerist culture, isn't it? And uh, it's all about me, I, 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 exactly. We've even got the iPhone, very clever marketing from Apple. And I think that's coming into the church. And there is certainly some mindset that, well, God's there for me, isn't he? It's, a, it's all about my life. And God, he's my add-on, and he can help me in my life. But it's, that's not the truth. So I went to um, Google, the power of Google, and I tried to find the top verses that people look up, and I found the answer on BibleGateway.com, which is a fairly well-known website for studying the Word. And here they published the top ten Bible verses, and I've got the first five here. And these are great verses. There's nothing wrong with these verses. These are the Word of God. 
And some of you may have these as one of your favorite verses. They're very well known. But do you see a theme in those? They're very much what I can get out of my relationship with God. I'm being a little bit cynical here, obviously, but bear with me. Um, Yeah, but generally speaking, that is what we can get out of. So I want to take the first one, John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. That's a nice verse, isn't it? Arguably the most well-known Bible verse in the whole world, both in the church and out the church, it's easy. We can, we can just look out the window and say, Hello, God, I really do believe in you. And that is kind of all we need to do, really, from based on that verse. And based on the, the interpretation I brought there, makes it easy. It's, it's like a pig's in blanket verse. <clears throat> Tasty, yummy. But the trouble is, it produces somebody like this. <laughs> yes, that is me. Doing a good job of posing as a couch potato. When we only read those types of verses, and it's not the whole word of God, and only read the verses about me, 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 I, 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 you can get the mindset of, oh, I've just compromised on my faith. I've just compromised on my sin. You get complacency. And Jesus is, Jesus is a commodity to my life. Um, he's an add-on. I'm so glad Jesus is part of my life. Isn't that wonderful? So I want to compare John 3.16 to a couple of other verses. I've colored these verses in green to represent Brussels sprouts. So if you look at Hebrews 12, with, I can't see that, with everyone... It's not coming out right, right. No, it's gone wrong slightly this slide. Basically the face of the verse like the first verse there is we have to be holy. Let's not fall short of grace. Or the se- uh, the second one, Luke nine, I think that is. Whoever wants this is Jesus speaking, who wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. And whoever wants to Whoever loses life for me will save it. So you see here two sets of verses, but they don't seem to match, do they? And it's like, how come the Bible is saying two different things here? Well, this is my interpretation of John 3.16. I can assure you that is not me. This climber, he really believes in his rope. He really believes in the harness, and he really believes in the anchor that's been hammered into the rock. Now, it's in John 3.16, the key verse that I'm trying to look at is believes. When we look at the word believes, as in that climber is believing in his equipment, suddenly 3.16 is transformed into something completely different. For God so loved the world that he gave his... One and only son that whoever believes in clings to. Then, when we compare these verses with each other, suddenly you find that actually they agree with each other. And what you find is when you you read more, 
and you, you, you absorb some of those Brussels sprouts, sometimes they're not very tasty, but the more you read them, because they are truth, they actually start to taste good. And, the, and you read this verse, and it makes this verse make more sense. And then you read this, oh, and that one makes more sense. And slowly, you get a convergence of understanding, and all the verses agree with each other. It's only when we get the overview of understanding the whole word that we start to see it like that. Now, the Amplified version of John 3.16, we're about to show you. The Amplified Bible is different to most Bibles in that when you have a word in a sentence, in a verse, it sometimes expands the meaning of a particular word. So I've got John 3.16, and I put it in yellow. So at the top there, believes in, and he's expanded that to trusts in, clings to, relies on. So we're here, here we have the Amplified Bible backing up what I've just been explaining. Okay, so that was challenge number one, challenge our understanding of John 3.16. The second challenge is like this. If we go into the average church and ask the average Christian, please can you describe to me God's nature, God's character? A massively common answer that will come back is God is love. Thank you, Albert. Um, (laughs) God is love. And they're absolutely right. God is love. I've been a Christian 24 years. I don't remember that mindset being around just 20 years ago. It was a different thing. It's quite a new thing. God is love. It's 100% right, 100% accurate. But it is not the whole character of God. It is, if you like, the pigs in blanket part of his character. There are other characters characters to God. Um, I found a study online. Basically, the study went through the entire Bible... And every time there was God's character was mentioned, they tallied it up. So God is love, tick. Uh, God is just, tick. And they put it all together. And when you look at it, you put it into a pie chart like this. And you see God is holy, faithful, judge, powerful, righteous, just, love. Love is in there. That's good. But notice how it's actually the smallest proportion. Now, I must point out that you can't describe God with a pie chart. That would be, it doesn't fit in that box. And this is only an illustration. And the study I found, possibly they got the figure slightly wrong. But I think, hopefully you see the point that love is only part of who he is. Now, of course, there are some elements of God's character that are up there, like he is judge. And of course, that's a bit more Brussels sprouty, isn't it? Uh, The fact is, at the end of time, God will judge the world, and he will be sending people to hell. That's a serious Brussels sprout. Imagine it like this. We have a court of law on earth, and a criminal comes to trial, and he's very guilty, and he's done disgusting things in his life. And then it comes to the judge passing sentence. What if the judge said, do you know what? I'm in a really good mood today, you can just go. There'd be an outcry, wouldn't there? We want to have a good, just judge. At the end of time, 
God, through his love, will be that good, just judge. He will serve sentence accordingly. And we all deserve to be friendly to hell. But here's the good news. So I'm going to read John 3.16 again, but this is the James version of John 3.16. So it's a bit expanded. So first of all, we have a God who will judge us. And he will throw people into hell. But that God provided a solution. He so loved the world. Who died for us on the cross and rose again three days later. And that same Jesus is up in heaven now interceding for us right now. That whoever believes in him clings to with all. And have eternal life. So in summary, let us cling to Jesus Christ for all that we are worth. Let us cling to the word of God for all we are worth. Because it is everything. Amen.